People always want to know what it's like to be me. How does it feel to see a dead body? Tell a family their loved one has been murdered. Talk to a rape victim. Catch a killer. And get them to confess. Hold on tight, my friends. Get ready for the journey. And welcome to Murder with Menina. Welcome to another edition of Murder with Menina. We are coming to you from Nashville, Tennessee. Colleen, how are you? I'm good. And we will be bringing you podcasts from different cities around the country because Chris and I like to travel. And also Chris looks into cold cases often in um, various areas, helps people out. And uh, so for various reasons, we're traveling. And uh, our adventures in Nashville started off humorously because I chose a cheap hotel room for our first night here, something by the airport, just thinking I could save a little money. And Chris hates it when I do that because, honestly, I haven't had the best track record. <laughs> she finds the worst, worst motel. So <laughs> quick story. We're at the hotel. And it's not even a hotel. I can't even use the word hotel. I can't it's use the motel. word motel. Uh, and okay, we're just going to go back to sleep. First of all, there's no hot water. Second of all, actually as scary as this place was, the beds were quite comfortable, but we're literally laying in our, each of our beds and our neighbor coughs and I, I jump up out of bed. Cause I'm like, Oh my God, this dude is in our room. That's how paper thin our walls were. So then, right. We go to sleep or whatever about in the middle of the night. I'm hearing our neighbors have some Crazy sex, right? With a hey, prostitute. With it's got to be a prostitute, as she's saying. You know, give it to me, daddy. <laughs> and I look over, and Colleen is dead asleep, and I'm like, oh my lord. And then a few minutes later, when they were done, they get into an argument, <laughs> and I hear her go, oh, "Okay, daddy, now I see what the real daddy's about," because <laughs> he was screaming and yelling at her. So crazy, crazy adventures we have, but uh, because kind of my funny. cheap hotels. I know. I don't. So know I why. sort of had this track record. Usually, Chris will not let me pick a hotel room because I did choose one in Indiana once, Indianapolis, and we had gotten home from a long day. We had, I had gone along with Chris to interview someone in Ohio about a cold case, and then interview someone in the backwoods of Indiana for another cold case. I mean, it had really been a very long day of driving and very interesting, fascinating day. But by the time we got back to Indianapolis, it was really late. And I got this cheap hotel by the airport and we go to check in. And literally the manager at the hotel says to me, you don't want to stay here. And I was so tired. I was literally like, why? And he said, well, the bedrooms, I mean, we have a maid shortage and they might not be clean. And also they don't, we don't have TVs in some of the rooms. And I go, and I said, literally, do you have a bed and a blanket? Because I was so tired. And I was leaving for the airport the very next morning at crack of dawn. And all of a sudden, Chris pipes up and she goes, get in the car. We're yeah. not staying here. And we done... get in the car and she says, I've done drug busts at this place. This place is so sketchy. It's so oh. bad. So anyway, she booked a hotel across the street and it ended up to be fine. So, so we're actually I in am... a nice one right now. Shout out to the Marriott Loft. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> because it's like, we are like luxury. So last night when I tried to save money for the hotel again, I, I said, oh, it's, you know, it's a Motel 6 and they really do a good Good job. I've stayed there a lot because I like to stay there with my dog. 
And this one was not so nice. I mean, the table was taped together. It was pretty funny. But I had to just laugh because I knew that is the last time you'll allow me to pick yeah. a hotel room. No, but no anyway, worries. we do enjoy traveling. And we'll, we will be bringing you podcast episodes from different cities for various reasons. And this time we're in Nashville, Tennessee. Nashville, Tennessee. We love Nashville. It's one of our favorite places. All right. So what's interesting about my career is people always ask me, what was your worst case? And that is a difficult, difficult question because I think that there are different uh, times in my career where uh, whatever, in, you know, whatever police work I was doing, either street or investigations, there was always kind of a worst one. But actually, this worst one came late, late, late in my career, probably uh, 20 years into it. Um, and like I said, it's kind of a difficult question to ask, but when I look back at my career and I see 25, 26 years of moments, um, some are ingrained in my brain a lot more than others. And some moments come quick, like being in fights, right? Like that's the worst moment when you're in a fight and maybe you're fearing for your life. And of course, the moments where, um, you know, you're having to tell somebody the worst day or the worst news of their lives, um, hence having to tell a loved one that somebody has um, died. So as many dead bodies as I've seen, and I've seen a lot, and a lot of lives I have changed and, you know, in retrospect kind of had to ruin their lives to a degree by telling them um, horrible news, um, there is one that actually haunts me, and it continues to haunt me in nightmares. And what's interesting is that now that I'm retired, I will be retired, well, I'm, I'm what, 11 months into retirement, and it just now I'm starting to have um, kind of nightmares that are kind of reoccurring. It's so interesting because throughout my career, I didn't have as many. I have them every once in a while, but after I retired, I don't know if it's just my brain calming down now or what it is. It's the craziest thing. That is interesting. It is. So after leaving the homicide unit, um, I went into the under, I went to undercover, right? And that's just a whole new uh, gem of stories and crazy things. But then I went back to work in the street. And what was interesting about that. Um, is I went back and I had enough seniority that I went back to day shift. Um, and I just got to the point where I was kind of tired of it. And this is after you'd already done homicide. Yeah, right? done homicide, done most of my investigations. Um, the bulk of my career, I'm kind of on the, I'm, I'm winding down. So I thought, I'm going to go back to the street. And I know with my seniority and everything, I am going to get day shift. Um, so I was just kind of, I wanted to go to work. And then when I was done with work, be done with work. And in homicide and in investigations, you never, it really never, you know, left my brain because I'm always trying to think, oh my God, how do I make this case stronger or how do I solve the case? And I think I was kind of tired of catching killers and I was kind of tired of the investigation part of law enforcement interrupting other parts of my life. And I kind of wanted a little bit more um, balance. And I knew at that point in time, I was both physically and mentally exhausted. And I think it was kind of a hard pill for me to swallow that I was at the point in my career where I was mentally kind of tired. And I knew that. So I thought, you know what, I'll go back to the street. I'll take my calls for eight and a half hours, and then I'll just go home. And so that became a really, really attractive thing. So the thing about the street is you go, you respond to the call, you deal with it, and then you move on. And to be honest, there's no time really to become that emotionally involved because you're putting a Band-Aid on whatever people have called 911 for. So you call, you deal with the problem, you put a Band-Aid on, and then you're off to the next run. So I knew emotionally that it wasn't going to be as draining because literally you have to move on to the next case and you're not there long enough to become emotionally involved. 
So you respond it, you fix it, try to, mostly a Band-Aid. And that's something that is really, really true in law enforcement, is that when you work the street, you are literally putting Band-Aids on these issues because we become so busy that we don't stay at runs very long. We try to fix it really quickly, and then we have to move on. And that's, you know, that's kind of a disappointment because you know you're going to be back because you know that Band-Aid is going to be ripped off eventually, if not before your shift is over. But you do the report, you go on, you move on, you go to the next call for help. And then when you're done for the day, you don't really think about it. And hopefully your radio, when your radio is turned off, your brain gets turned off, right? You're not hearing the runs come out. And so that's something that I was really, really um, looking forward to. No more hunting the bad guy, no more trying to find evidence, just no more pressure from the family. Have you made the arrest? Have you found the killer? None of that stuff. So I was really looking forward to it. Um, so... As I continued to work the day shift, I liked it. Now, day shift's interesting, right? Because what what time do criminals wake up? Do you know? Three o'clock, <laughs> you've told me. Right? Like, hey. like the guy next to us in the Motel 6 room that had the prostitute exactly. all day? Three o'clock. Exactly. So day shift on the shift that I work was 5.30 in the morning until 2 in the afternoon. Perfect shift, right? Because you're just going home as the criminals are waking up. So it's not a bad, it's very, very early, but it's not a bad shift. The only thing about day shift work in the street is I gained weight because I ate a lot, right? You would, you're up so early, you eat breakfast, and then by 10, I'm like, is it lunchtime? And then, <laughs> then I get home at 2, and I'm like, I need a snack, and then I would eat dinner. So it's like, it's not a great shift for um, weight loss by any stretch of the imagination because you're up so early, and you're just up for so long. So anyways, I'm working the day shift, and I had a routine every day. I would, And I could shower really quickly. So my ass would get up at 4.45 in the morning, and I could be at roll call by 5.30. Because, of course, when you're working the street, you know what you're going to wear every day. You wear a uniform. So I had to pick out what I had to wear. And I, as Colleen knows, I can take a shower in like four seconds. So I would get there. There's no traffic that early in the morning, right? So I could just whoop, get right to work. And I started a routine. I would go to roll call. I'd go get my egg McMuffin, which was free, um, every morning. And then free I would just because. free because I'm in the I'm the police. I roll through in my and they would even give it to me in the drive through, which is super nice. Yeah, McDonald's yeah, so nice. Shout us. out! Shout out to McDonald's free that would policeman. give us absolutely. And then I would just go and sit. Right, it's still dark out, and as the sun came out, that was a little bit painful. Um, and what's interesting about day shift is. From 5.30 to about 7 o'clock, there isn't a lot that goes on, right? People are not necessarily out that much. It starts to get a little bit busier. But the runs that we start responding to are stolen vehicles. People wake up. They go to work. Their car is gone. That's a sucky way to start your day. So you respond to stolen vehicles, and you do the report. And then also business alarms. People are going to their businesses. They're opening up their businesses, and they trigger the alarm. So hmm. it's stolen vehicles and... Alarms, and we get a lot of stolen vehicles in the winter. Why? What do you think? Hmm. In the winter time in Indiana, it's freaking cold. There can be fifty inches of snow. But why is vehicle stolen I in the don't morning, know. people? Why? Come on, Detective Colleen. Well, to sleep in it? I don't know. <laughs> I <have laughs> this no is idea. why she's the producer. All <laughs> right. This is because people go out and warm their cars up. And then they go back in the house. Oh, see, I wouldn't know. I'm from California. How would I know this? Okay, well, Midwestern people. So we go on a ton of those, especially in the winter, and we tell people all the time, don't do that. Because people, criminals know that, right? And so they go and they get their, they go outside, they're ready for work, and, and their car's gone. So business alarms, stolen vehicles. And then maybe some um, 
accidents, people on their way to work, get into accidents, and then occasionally you respond to a fight at a bus stop, right? Kids fighting, parents fighting, or whatever, as they're waiting for the buses, uh, we'll respond to that. And then, of course, we get calls to grandma's house and mom's house because their kids won't go to school, and they call the police because <laughs> grandma... They call the police? They call this. the police. I'm not kidding you. We, they would call the police and say, my grandson um, is not going to school, and I can't force him. Like, I can't get him because, gra- because grandson's six foot and grandma's like four foot five, right? Right. A lot of those. So what do you do in a case You know like what? That? It's not It's not really a police issue. It's not. It's a, you know, it's a parent issue. Mm-hmm. Um, we try to tell the kids to go to school and tell them that if they don't go to school, I'm sure we'll run into them in another f- juncture where we're arresting them. But those are the types of runs that we get. So the most, for the most part, day shift is very quiet and then un- uneventful because majority of the population, right, is going to, are good people. They're getting up. They're going to work. They're, you know, they're going about their lives. So it doesn't start to really kind of get hopping until around one o'clock. All right. Because criminals sleep all day because they've been up all night. And so every once in a while we will get leftovers, which we call leftovers, which would be a homicide occurred at night and nobody found the body until the morning. Oh, that's called a leftover. Yeah. So sometimes day shift officers would find bodies or somebody would find a body when the sun came up and we knew that they had likely been murdered the night before and that nobody sure. had found them. So we get some leftovers too. Uh, so anyways, I had been back to the street about a month and I always sat at this big Western saloon bar that had a gigantic parking lot when I ran this one beat kind of on the west side of Indianapolis. And I would sit there in the morning, I'd eat my Egg McMuffin, I'd mess around on my phone, I'd just wait for the next call, all that type of stuff. And so it was about 9 o'clock in the morning when a run came out of a disturbance. Um, it just came out as a disturbance, and I perked up because the address, I literally, I'm not kidding you, was two blocks away from this disturbance. And as a police officer, you get a little excited about that, right? Why? Because I might get the bad guy, right? Right, I'm close. I might get him. So in the two blocks that it took me to get there, it came out as a disturbance run, but then it came out as a person hurt hurt run, okay? So I'm literally there in like 10 seconds. I feel that surge of adrenaline, which I love, right? Mm -hmm. And it does, it it makes me happy. Um, With the thought of me chance, you know, me getting there and dealing with it and maybe getting the bad guy. So I get there and I'm running kind of lights and sirens, but it's like boop, boop. And then I'm there, right? Like I still turn them on because it's fun. One turn. One turn. So there, pull up to the house. I jump out of my car and I see a man in the front yard and he's kind of waving me down a little bit. And um, he's holding his head and he points to the house and he's saying, my parents, my parents are in there. And the sun has been up. It's about nine o'clock in the morning. It's a beautiful, I'll never forget this day. It was a beautiful, beautiful day. It was sunny. It was about 60 degrees, and there was not a cloud in the sky. So I pull up, and this guy's kind of holding his face, and he's just, my parents, my parents, my parents, they're inside. And I don't know what I'm running into, because all I know is it's a disturbance. And he's not able to give me much information, and I'm and trying to get... this son? This guy's probably like 30s. He looked like he was okay. in his 30s, okay? And so I draw my gun, and I'm there by myself, right, because I got there so quickly. Backup is coming, but I don't know where they're at coming from and I just happen to be really close so I draw my gun and I go through the door and I'm kind of going through a, a door that leads into the kitchen um, so I walk in and this house is not it's two-story but it's not very big the kitchen is small so I'm kind of clearing it I've got my gun I'm walking through the kitchen I start to hear, clear the house now I'm clearing the house alone 
And mind you, I don't know what I have, okay? But I do know that there should be some people inside the home based on what the son said. He said, my parents are in there. So I get there, and I'm, I'm going through the kitchen, and I walk through the living room, and I'm trying to clear it quickly and go behind doors, kind of look around, just get my surroundings, head on a swivel. And then when I, and I start to hear somebody moaning, and I kind of hear a moaning sound. And I see a hallway that leads to the back of the house. So I turn the corner to the hallway and I look down the hallway and I into the bathroom and the bathroom door was open and I can see an elderly man and I can see that he's just bloody all over. I can see an elderly man sitting on the toilet. He's holding his head and he's keeping his self, he's keeping his head and face propped up by the sink. So the toilet's kind of right near the sink, and he's all bloody. And I, right, like he's all bloody. I still do don't know what I have. He's keeping his head he's, like, up he's by got the his, sink. He's, he's, his chin is on the sink. Oh. Okay, and he's and he's elderly, and he's really, really bloody. Oh, um, and so I, as I approached him, I'm kind of screaming, and I can see blood all over him. And I'm like, "What's going on?" I'm like, "Are you shot? Are you shot?" It's my first thought was the amount of blood that I saw. I see shot, and he can't tell me now. I don't know if there's people in the house. Still the bad guys wow. in the house. I'm wow. looking at him. He is bloody. He's not telling me. I'm screaming, are you shot? Are you shot? And then he points from the bathroom to another room. And he's like, my wife, my wife. And I'm like, all right, I'm right. I go, are they in the house? Like, I'm trying to get information. I then get on the radio and I'm yelling. I need help. I need medics. I've got one elderly man bleeding profusely. Um, I, I say on the radio, I have a person shot because that's what I think I have. All right. So then as I walk down the hallway, I'm getting closer to the elderly man. I still have my gun out. I'm trying to clear each side of the hallway. How scary. And then I look. You have no idea if the kid. Right. But the thing is, is I'm not scared. I'm really just trying to get control of the situation and figure out what the hell is happening. So as I approach the elderly gentleman, I can see into the bathroom. I'm pretty close to him. He's on the toilet. Like I said, he's got his head propped up on the sink. There is blood everywhere. And I turn to my right as he's pointing, and it goes into the master bedroom. And I probably have to walk six or seven steps, um, and I'm looking for the bad guy, and I see an elderly woman laying in a bed. And the covers are up, right up to her chin. And there is blood everywhere. The comforter is soaked. Like, it's probably soaked from her chest all the way up. And, I mean, soaked, like a lot of blood. There's blood on the in the hallway rug that I'm walking on. There's blood in the bedroom. And I get to the bedroom, and there is blood all over the walls. And what was interesting is she had some blood on her face, but it was almost like the blanket was tucked up right underneath her chin. And then it was bloody on her face. And I run up to her and I'm kind of kneeling next to her. Now, mind you, I still don't know if the bad guys are there. Like, I am trying to divert. Backup is still not there. And, yeah, I'm taking a couple minutes to explain it. But this is happening within seconds, okay? I hear moaning from her. She is alive. And I can't even freaking believe it. I'm not kidding you guys. When I walked into this bedroom, it looked something. It looked like something out of a horror movie. Now, mind you, I have seen a shitload. I am 21 years into my career. I have been a homicide detective. I have seen some shit. I have never seen anything like that. And I am yelling on the radio. Like, I, the dispatchers knew I was hyped. My backup knew I was hyped. And when you so, say elderly, what age? 80, okay, so 70? let me get to that. Okay. So I'm, I'm talking to her, and she's, she's moaning, and she's like, 
what happened? What, like, what happened? Where's my husband? And I'm like, everything's going to be okay. And I literally am kneeling down next to her. And I said, you're going to be okay. And I'm trying to figure out if she's been shot. I get back on the radio and I said, I've got two people shot. And I'm kind of leaning kind of down by the bed saying, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. And she's just kind of moaning a little bit. And so finally, I am screaming again. I need another medic. I've got two victims. I've got two people shot. I need people. So finally, and it takes forever, right? Faintly, I can hear the sirens coming in the background. Like I can hear help coming. And I'm like, help is on their way. And I'm trying. She's not, uh, she's calm because she's in a, she's hurt really bad and she's in but shock. She's in shock. She's right. in complete shock. So, but I'm trying to. Was the, was the elderly bit. man also in shock? Uh, I think he was, and he's still seated in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. I told him not to move, and I just say, I tried to say, what happened? What happened? And she can't really tell me. It's really faint. She's kind of going in and off, in and out of consciousness. And so I decided that I'm going to go back to her, to him. Like I'm running from the master bedroom to the bathroom, looking at him. You're going to be okay. The medics are coming. Just don't move. Stay right here. I'm running. And Chris, back to her. the son, is he still in the front He's yard? Still outside in the front yard. Okay. I still haven't cleared the whole house. Now, mind you, I've only done the kitchen, the living room. Right. You don't even know bedroom. the attacker could be. I don't know, but for whatever reason, I must have felt comfortable enough to think that they're probably gone because I decided to stay with both victims. Okay. Right. And I'm getting on the radio. I haven't cleared the house. I haven't cleared the house, hoping that my backup gets there and does that Mm -hmm. so that I don't have to leave my two victims. So running back and forth. um, And I'm thinking to myself, there is no freaking way that these two people are going to survive. The amount of blood that is in that house is unbelievable. I wish I could describe it better. So at that time, I go ahead and I call for homicide to respond because I'm like, there's no freaking way that these two people are going to survive. There is no way. So I call for homicide. Finally, um, medics get there. They literally throw these elderly people on stretchers and they are sprinting out of the house, like trying to get them to the hospital and they rush them. And I still don't know how they were hurt. I still don't know. But it appears like they've been, you know, shot, but it had to have been a high powered rifle because there was blood all over the walls. So once I get, once they get out of the house, other officers are there, we um, clear it. And then I start to get my bearings a little bit. And of course I'm going back to what I know, which is homicide investigation, right? So I go back into the bedroom and as I'm waiting for homicide and aggravated assault to respond and we're now we're kind of dealing with the scene. I had told an officer, hey, there's there's a guy outside in the front. Detain him. I don't know what he I don't even know what he's did. He do it like I don't even know anything. Right. So as everybody's kind of getting there, I go back into the room and suddenly the house is just calm. But it's just a bloodbath. It is absolutely a bloodbath. And I look down and I've got blood on my shoes. I've got blood on my uniform. I've got blood on my hands. Um, and then I go into the bedroom and it appears from the blood splatter that now I'm thinking if they're not shot, they had to have been beaten with a baseball bat or something, something where that amount of blood and the injuries I could see, you know, something hit these people. And then when they, when they hit it, when the suspect hit them and they brought the weapon back, I've got now blood splatter on the walls. Right. So think about that for a second. If you stab somebody, right. And you stab them somewhere and you pull that knife out, what happens? The blood goes flying and it hits the walls and it's blood splatter. So now that I've got my bearings a little bit, 
I'm thinking, oh my God, were they beaten with something? You know, I know a detective and another officer followed the ambulance down there. So we were going to know soon what the injuries were. And so I'm starting to kind of piece it together. And so I'm looking for the weapon. I'm looking for the weapon. I can't find the weapon anywhere. I'm looking in the bedroom. Homicide gets there, of course. I'm explaining, look, guys, I got here within freaking 10 seconds. Like I was here within 10 seconds. I saw this gentleman out on the front lawn. I didn't even do anything with him. I have not interviewed him. You need to talk to him. And at that point in time, we learn that both of them are in critical condition and they've just been beaten. And so it matched wow. the crime scene at that point. Did they right? stabbed or just beaten, beaten with a blunt object? Beaten with a blunt object, oh. which described the scene. And anytime you get a head injury, you bleed a lot. Sure. You know, and, and so just a lot. So, and you that, know, that would indicate a hate crime. Uh, possibly a lot of passion, right? A lot of passion. And so now I'm kind of going through the house a little bit like, okay, where did they, how did they get in? Like, you know, is there forced entry? Is there anything like, and then I'm, I'm trying to find who these people are. So I noticed on the, on the nightstand that his wallet was there and I'm like, man, you know, was this, this wasn't a robbery. Like, is there anything missing? There weren't any drawers open. It didn't, their TVs were there as I start walking through the house. So I grab his ID and I find her purse and I grab her ID. And of course now the detectives are there and it's their scene. And I know how that works. I'm literally now kind of done with my investigation. And all I need to do now is go out to my police car and make initial police report. So I've got both of their IDs. I've told the officer, hey, this is everything that I saw when I heard the detective, everything that I saw, this is what happened you know, um, when I got here and here's the scene. And so, did they detain the son? So they did detain the son. And and how did it feel for you to not be in control of that investigation? You know what? I actually was okay because it, um, I, I tell you why. I was okay with it because I was rattled. Like that scene rattled me. It mm-hmm. absolutely rattled me to see these elderly people. And I will never, ever forget until the day I die when when the elderly woman just said what happened like she didn't even know what happened and it was just so sad so i get both of their ids and i know what my job is i've secured the scene i've told the detectives everything and so my job is to go back outside get in my police car get on the computer and write your initial report i was sitting in a parking lot when a disturbance run came out when i arrived and i just go through everything that i've told you but before i go to my police car i decided to make a walk around the house and on the side of the house, I saw a broken window. And that was the, that's how they gained entry into it. So I'd go back and I'd tell the detective, hey, I think this is where, you know, they gained entry and crime lab needs to come out here and try to get prints from the glass and see if they can get any, anything from that. So I tell them that and I go back and I sit in my car and to be able to, you know, it, I don't know if it's just because I was later in my career. I don't know if it's because I just wanted to go back to the street to kind of just, you know, slowly in my career on a, you know, I don't know what I was expecting, but I was rattled. And so when I looked at their IDs, I saw that both of those people were born the same year as my parents. And I just, I literally got a sick feeling. I, I, I swear, I literally was in my police car and I got such a sick feeling thinking, oh my God. If this was my parents, like, oh my God. And I just, it's just really, really hard to describe. And I was kind of surprised that I had that kind of reaction. And in that moment, everything slowed down for me, like everything slowed down. And I just was kind of thinking about the scene and I was thinking about 
how he looked when I first saw him and how she looked when I first saw her and how in shock they were and disheveled they were and, and injured they were. And it just, it really just kind of made me like, I just was like, uh, I think I want to be done. Like I, you know, I think I kind of want to be done. So I do my police report, you know, and I have to put their dates of birth and they literally were both born in, in 1943, which mm-hmm. was, was when my, my mom and dad were born. So I do everything and I know the detective that's working it and we're getting information that they're, they're in critical, but they're probably not going to die. And I was like, oh, that's fantastic. You know, I felt a little bit about better about that, but I still felt sick. Well, now my job is done, right? Like I've done everything. I've secured the scene. I've made the police report. I've talked to the detectives. Now I'm just kind of being, um, waiting to be released by the detective to say, cause now my shift's over, right? Like I've been there for three or four hours and now my shift's over. So I get the, I get the, uh, uh, call from the detective saying that I can leave the scene. And I said, well, before I go, what the hell did the sun say? Cause you know, I'm vested, right? right? Sure. And the sun said, and evidently there was a wife and I don't know where she was. I never saw her, but they eventually found her. But they told me that the son and his wife had gone, come down the night before. And this is the West side of Indianapolis. So it's only about 20 minutes to the airport. They were due to fly out that morning for vacation. So they came down, spent the night with their parents, and then we're just going to drive to the airport. And they stayed up in like a loft and son never heard a thing. So, and that was a little suspect to me because I'm suspicious anyway, as you know, but it was a little suspect because he never heard anything. So the alarm goes off at nine o'clock. He comes downstairs to make coffee and he sees his grand or he sees his father sitting on the toilet. The same exact thing that I saw. Right. And so I was like, all right. Okay. Like, wow. And so I just kind of remember driving home and I was just like, oh man, I was really kind of happy that they were going to survive this. And I remember I called my mom and I always lie to my parents. I always do horrible home. Maybe they won't listen to this episode, but you know, it's the same question. How was your shift? And I always say fine. And they're always very great, you know, gracious and grateful when I call and I'm checking in and they knew I was going to day shift and there was a part of them that felt, oh good, she's not going to be working out. All, she's not going to be working all night. She's not going to be chasing murderers. She's just going to be working day shift where, you know, majority of crime, property crimes happen, but not violent crimes, you know? And, and, and so I know there was a sense, but I just felt like I needed to call them and check in. How are you? And my mom's like, oh, are you on your way home? And I'm like, I am. Oh my God. How was your shift? How did it go? And I'm like, uh, totally boring mom. Totally boring. Cause it's just not it for, for 21 years, I never got specific with my parents. And it was just kind of this understanding that we had that they knew the shit went down, but they didn't really want to hear it. And I'm okay. Not explaining it. Right. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's just like this understanding that we had. So go home. And it just, it just really, it bothered me and it still bothers me to this day. So I learned later that it was a homeless person that it actually had um, tried to break into a home three or four houses north of where these people live. And the guy was getting ready to cut. Uh, he was he was waking up to go to work. He was in his kitchen and this guy had tried to get in and the guy saw him and he ran away. And then he just decided to hit this house where my two victims were. It took about two and a half weeks and somebody called one morning and said, hey, there's a suspicious guy, and I think he's sleeping in his car. And it was about 20 miles south of where this crime occurred. Off-street officers get there. 
they see him, he's disheveled, he's got blood all over him, and they start poking around a little bit, and they see a baseball bat. And so he was still had the bloody blood on him. That's how homeless this guy was and poor. Wow. He still had blood that he had worn that day, that, that got on him that day during the crime. And so the officers put it together, and they ended up arresting him. With DNA? Is that how they did it? Oh, yeah, it? DNA. They tested yeah, the blood and it. the victims. Yeah, absolutely. And what was the homeless guy's story? You know what? He didn't say anything. I think he was crazy. I think he was schizophrenic. schizophrenic. He had to. Um, and, of course, homeless and, of course, not doing his meds and, and, you know, didn't take anything from the victim's house. Didn't take anything. And uh, so, anyway, they were in the hospital for probably two months recovering, and then they were, then they came home. That's a long time. And so I... When I worked that beat, I would always go by and see them. And I just kind of like would, whenever I had a police report, I'd just sit right in front of their house and do it. Like I just wanted to be like their personal security because, you know, it's tough to be that close, right? And I'm thinking to myself, here I am sitting in a parking lot, you know, doing whatever it is I'm doing, either, you know, messing around on Facebook or whatever, kind of just waiting for the next run when this violent crime is literally happening like two seconds for me, you know, and it wouldn't have mattered if I had done extra patrol on their street. He was already in the street, but what, you know, what if I'd gone down the street when he was breaking the basement window, you know, all of those things go into your, into your mind. But I remember going back and just kind of checking on them. And I said, look, I'm going to sit outside your house. Most of my shift doing my work just, you know, cause I just felt like, I don't, it's just hard to describe. And I just, it was a really, were they, really were, did they express appreciation? They for did, that? and so did their son. So did their son. Very, you know. And I said, "Man, this case is did they, really did just hit me hard." Did you give them their cell phone number? Oh, I, absolutely. Like, like I, I really was just like, "Look, I'm gonna just try to be your personal security because how horrible they were! Such it was such a horrible, horrible scene that I saw. And so random. But they went, but they went through. Yeah, right. and so random. And the connection that it had. So really, at the end of the day, when people are expecting to hear, oh, what was your worst case, you know, a homicide case, it wasn't. It was when these two elderly people that had lived in this home for so long um, went through such a violent, violent attack. So, that and, was so just, and without even a motive. Not even a motive. Not even a motive. But, uh, yeah, that, that case uh, still gets to me to this day. And I just, oh, man, called my parents more and more and more. <laughs> You know, it just, I just couldn't imagine if that were my family. Oh, I just couldn't imagine. So anyways, that's probably the one at the end of the day when they say, what was the one that bothers you the most? That's definitely in the top one or two. So I understand why. So let's go enjoy Nashville after that. (laughs) Let's kick up our heels. All right. We're going to go kick up our heels. the day, right? Isn't that one of the lessons of all these stories is... Absolutely. Seize the day. Tell your loved ones that you love them. Make sure you reach out and be appreciative to what you have because so many people go through so many things in their life and you don't even know. You don't even know their stories or what they've been through. So, you know, be kind and, uh, you know, tell the ones that you love. Watch out for each other. And watch out for each other. So we will see you all again on another episode of Murder with Menina. We may still be in Nashville. I don't know. Um, But we'll let you know. We will see you next time. If you have a cold case you'd like Chris to review, submit it through our website at murderwithmenina.com and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Murder with Menina and Twitter at Murder W. Menina. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode of Murder with Menina.